everybody, and welcome to the podcast where Josh and I talk about our childhood dramas, but we couch them in fun conversations about music or television. So, <laughs> so today I'm Jordi Armstrong, Josh Molina, and uh, today we're going to talk about television and television shows that shaped us. So um, one television show that we have in common is Seinfeld. And that doesn't go too back, too far back in our personal histories, but I think that's a show that people can get on board with and that we both really love. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So how do you well, feel about Seinfeld? It's funny because like I watched Seinfeld when it was on back in the nineties and now I watch it all the time. Like if I get, 30 minutes before I fall asleep at night, I I'm on Netflix and I'm like, I just kind of want to watch an episode because they never get old to me. They're just so funny. And I, know. I can't even imagine. I can't even count how many times like close friends have said, Oh, you're such a Costanza. Like that's such a George Costanza thing that you're doing or that you did. And I'm just like, no, it's not. Well, wait a minute. You know, it's just so funny because it's so relatable. And, uh, you know, it's hilarious. The first episode I ever saw that made me a Seinfeld fan. Well, uh, it's the first episode I ever saw. I like heard that there was some show called Seinfeld, but was the Chinese restaurant. I don't know if oh, you've yeah. ever seen that episode where it's of all course. one location and they're just waiting for a table. And the bottle episode, right? You know that term bottle episode? The bottle. Where... Oh, is that a TV term? But like, yeah, it's a term for a television show or something like it, where it all takes place in like one locale. And um, you have, every, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, I was just that episode was hilarious because it, it did take place in one location and they're waiting for a table. And it felt so real how when you're waiting for a table, they always sort of say five, 10 minutes if it's busy and it's longer and longer and you're starving and you just like, let's go somewhere else. Or no, we're so close. We've waited this long. And no, let's do that. And it's just all these scenarios inside the restaurant. And, just the writing was super, super funny. I mean, yeah. what, what about the show appeal to you? Well, so I, I think it started in like 1989, about there, like mm -hmm. very end of the 80s. But uh, I think it started with a really small, small following. You know, it was one of those shows that wasn't going to get picked up. And then they ordered like four episodes and then like five, you know, they weren't, the, the network wasn't super committed to it. But I think I started watching it a little bit later, like when I was, finishing high school or just in college. And um, there used to be a radio show in town with John Palminteri and some some other guy who's gone now on mm -hmm. KUIT. And they would start with Seinfeld quotes or they would discuss like what Seinfeld was about last night and they would play clips from it. Do you remember that? No, um, I don't think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I think that's how I first became aware of Seinfeld and then started watching it. And I was like, what is this? Like, finally, some humor I can get on board with. Because for one, coming out, well, we're going to talk about 80 shows, especially and 70 shows and how, you know, impactful they were to us. Um, they were all very sweet. You know, there was always the very special episodes tonight on a very special episode of Blossom, you know. <laughs> but uh, But they were all like perfectly... There's a nice family, nice group of people, some kind of problem happens. And it's no problem that I was ever familiar with. It was like, oh, 
you know, you tore your sweater and you don't want your mom <laughs> to find out that your sweater's torn. She's going to get mad. At, like <laughs> these were not <laughs> the kinds of things that happened in my household where, and then they talked about it and then they'd be like, and then at the end it'd be like, well, honey, I just want you to be warm. And I, <laughs> you know, like those kinds of things I wasn't super familiar with. Um, but they were all perfectly packaged and very, very sweet. And I think that's one of the reasons they were probably appealing to both of us. But Seinfeld was gritty. I mean, not like the wire gritty, but gritty in that it it didn't take a sweet family situation. It didn't take like these perfectly, perfectly reasonable problems that people might have and have kind of a solution. And that was always the joke. It was a show about nothing. Mm -hmm. they just kind of hung out and walked in and out of each other's apartments and in that coffee shop and stuff like that. But, um, <clears throat> but for me, it was this humor that I could finally really laugh to. And I think a lot of it is because it's Jewish humor, right? Like it was this Jewish television show. It's funny because people will talk about how that show is so Jewish, but actually when it first, when they first pitched it to the network, they were like, no, you can't have all these Jewish characters. Um, so they changed all the other characters. All the other characters were supposed to be Jewish, but they changed all of them except Jerry Seinfeld. And then they just wrote them Jewish. I mean, they like changed, like they made George Greek, you know, and <clears throat> Elaine was just some shiksa. But uh, but they still wrote them all Jewish. So they're like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we'll pretend that they're not Jewish. But then they had this like, overtly Jewish humor. And for me, um, that was something I was familiar with and something I could get on board with for sure. And uh, I actually dated someone for like two years because they looked like Jerry Seinfeld. I started talking to them at a bookshop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, you know, you, you look just like Jerry Seinfeld. Maybe you could be Jerry Seinfeld. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's why it was good for me. It was, it was funny. It was, uh, it was edgy. And um, and it showed a kind of humor that I was familiar with that I didn't see represented in the television shows before. And it showed diversity too. You know, even if we want to criticize the diversity as like stereotypical, it's New York. And mm -hmm. there's so many shows written about New York, like Friends, for example, that so clearly don't take place in New York. There's no diversity. You know, there's, mm -hmm. if you've ever been to New York, you're walking around, there's like Muslim families, there's Ethiopian families, there's Puerto Ricans, you know, there's very, there's not just like, oh, Latinx people, there's a Dominican neighborhood, there's a Puerto Rican neighborhood, there's a, mm -hmm. you know, Haitian neighborhood, <clears throat> et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so while some people might think of Seinfeld as stereotypical, it's also kind of representative of the diversity and the people that they would have met every day. Babu Bhatt, the Pakistani guy who starts the the um the dream restaurant cafe. it's called the dream cafe yeah. oh yeah 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 nobody goes in and he's serving like frank and beans and peanut butter sandwiches and stuff like that mm -hmm. and i knew a place like that like i used to live across from a place like that in san francisco in the richmond it was an indian place and they had like this ridiculous menu it was like a four-page menu and it was every single it was like lasagna fried chicken <laughs> like everything you could imagine on this menu but no indian food but it was like um owned by this indian family and you walked in and there was sitar music and um yeah so i 
knew a place like that. So when I saw that episode, I was like, oh, I know that place. <laughs> like, I think that place exists in every big city. This, uh, this person with a, who comes here and starts a restaurant and like tries to make it as American as possible. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Well, <clears throat> at and some I put, point we're gonna... I put quotes around American for anybody who's listening to. Okay. And didn't see my quotes. American point is like what, what people stare, American as in what people stereotype and project as American hot dogs and stuff like that. Whereas we know that apple pie Fourth of July, but we yeah. know America is much is not that for everybody. Yeah, we okay. get it. It's, it's a mosaic. The melting pot. Um, that's no, actually not a melting pot, right? Okay, not a melting pot. You know that comes from Henry Ford. Henry Ford was this gigantic racist who, um, who had this idea that everybody should kind of leave their cultural flavor behind, and he used to put on these skits in his factories where you'd have all these different immigrant laborers, and he'd have them literally like jump into a pot in their whatever in their like lederhosen or their, I don't know. Uh, Greek shepherding outfit and they'd come out the bottom in a suit and so like this was his image of not so much us all blending together and becoming one swirling flavorful soft serve but but us losing our cultural identity and becoming this like G-man so I prefer the mosaic which is where all these different different images and then you go back and it makes like one big different like new image perfect so if you're an anti-racist should you be driving ford cars what do you think I don't know. that's a good question oh, he was he yeah i could go talking it's about like an environmentalist drinking coffee pods probably exactly a little bit racist in question. SUV. yeah yeah not a minivan not well you got i mean do you I have kids is it justifiable it, but you have to have a certain number of kids. Okay. Like your two kids do not justify. Not I need like five. Yeah. yeah. You need enough to fill it and then you're okay with it. What if I'm a hoarder and I just have lots of stuff? I like and to you're not environmentally car. friendly. What are you hoarding? Unless you're hoarding recyclable stuff that's been thrown in the trash. Like soccer balls and basketballs and balls and like, you know, activity stuff. No, probably not. No, you have to repurpose them. Okay. All yeah. right. I'm going to make Do a you list hoard of things I need to change. What? Do you hoard basketballs? If I come over, is there going to be a room full of basketballs and soccer balls just uh, and, deflating? <laughs> I, I could go get them right now. Yes. We we have one we use every day that we have to pump up again because it loses air overnight. I want to ask you about, I don't want to hear, but about, um, about uh, dating the Jerry Seinfeld lookalike another time because that sounds like a funny he was a um, very sweet sweet person uh-huh. yeah i dreamed of dating somebody who looked like kelly kapowski or valerie malone oh my, i Tiffany did too Thiessen. are you kidding you know, <laughs> Amber Thiessen. so a hundred percent um so yeah that's that's saved by the bell and 90210 so uh episode of seinfeld i don't know if you ever saw it but i love every episode i go through my whole day reciting lines with people who get it who who know the lines but there's this episode where um this grad student she's getting a master's degree in journalism and she goes to columbia and she like goes to the coffee shop to meet jerry and so like jerry's sitting at the diner with elaine and 
George or something. And she's like, she doesn't know what he looks like. It's before like the internet and all this stuff. And, 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 and she's like eavesdropping on him. So like Elaine says to George and Jerry, like, let's, she's eavesdropping. So let's make up a story. So she's like, so who cares if you guys are homosexuals? Just come out already. And George goes with it. And Jerry, like, every time homosexuality comes up with Jerry, he's always, like, really weird about it. Yeah, he but, but their whole line was, not that there's anything wrong with that. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that episode, I guess. That's where it came from. But what bothered me about that was she went to his house, and then he starts dating her, right? And she's, like, in grad school, right? She's a journalism student. He, I don't know how old he is on the show, maybe like mid thirties. Like the age is not as much a thing, but like, I was like, you're doing a story on this. It just made journalism look like that's how you get stories, right? Like you just like sleep with the source to get them to talk. And it was just so unrealistic. Um, But it was just like, I just like, I can't believe she's going to grad school. And then she writes this feature story off this like 15 minute interview. And I'm just like, that's not realistic, but well, doesn't it get picked up by the Associated Press? Isn't that there's yeah. and yeah. then then his family, his mom is calling him, <laughs> and he's like, "No, not that there's anything wrong with that." Right, right, yeah. Yeah, the, well, the mom, I, the kid, the mom, George's mom in that show is like, oh, right. his both his parents are <laughs> hilarious. Like <laughs> how they got through those um, scenes with Ben Stiller, George's dad. And we're able to complete them without just constantly laughing. I don't know, because he he's just like the man, the man bra, the bro that they make. And <laughs> that George walks in and uh, Kramer's putting the bra around on. and leaves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or so- the, uh, the one where Elaine and him are yelling and he's like, you want a piece of me? She's like, yeah, <laughs> just like, I don't know how they got through that. It's yeah. So now his parents were amazing um and then jerry's parents were freaking hilarious too like their condo board and their del boca vista in florida and like all the politics and then jerry gives them a cadillac and it becomes this big thing where he must be you know he gets charged as the condo board president for embezzling funds and (laughs) um and it's like the cadillac is proof of that and they're like your kid couldn't buy a cadillac i've seen his act (laughs) So yeah. yeah, just such good writing, so fun. And I'm glad that show is preserved on I guess it's Netflix now because it's mm-hmm. just super funny. But let's talk a little bit about like what TV meant to us. Like how did we watch TV? Was it something you did during the day, like if you didn't go to school, after school, late at night? Like how did you interact with with television? Because you know, I think there's probably some people thinking like wow, Jordy's this brilliant college professor. I can't believe she used to watch so much TV. And like, how did that intersect with your life growing up? I'm sure that's what people think about me all the time. They see me and they're just like, oh, it's brilliance. Uh, um, Hey, we're dropping that imposter syndrome. That was the first episode. You're right. You're right. Uh, So, um, well, I wasn't allowed to watch television or movies. uh, So I watched it. television all the time <laughs> because it was forbidden but um but so I, I I wasn't allowed to watch television or movies um but because my parents would leave for long periods of time like literally leave for like sometimes a month or more uh then there was a television 
or they were gone a lot, even if they weren't gone for like a solid period of time, like month long. Um, so I would end up watching television or I'd be with other people. Um, there was times where I, you know, was with other people for extended periods of time and uh, got to watch a lot of television that way. And television just became this escape. I didn't get to do that as much with movies because, you know, back in the day, they didn't play like if they played movies on television, it was with the commercial breaks and, you know, um, but uh, and you had to have like a VHS player to rent a movie. It wasn't as easy to watch movies <clears throat> back then as it is now. Mm -hmm. But television was something you could kind of sneak around and watch more. So uh, it became this escape because it was like, especially in the 80s, there were so many happy families, like I was saying earlier, and families who talked about stuff and like they'd have problems and they'd resolve them, you know, like they'd have and the problems were so minor, first of all, like I said, um, but they they would resolve them with like such ease and everybody still loved each other. Like if I ever did anything wrong, it was this mark on my character, you know, that like in, in my household with my parents, if I ever did anything like even slightly wrong, it was like, oh, you're a terrible person. Um, and like, like, you know, like you should wear a scarlet letter or something like that. So watching people who could have an issue and then it was fine and everybody still loved each other. I was like, what is that? <laughs> and how do I get there? Um, so yeah, so for me, television was an escape. So it was reading. And so it was like lots of other stuff that I did when I was younger, but, uh, but it was an escape into a nicer world, into what the world could be. Mm -hmm. And then there was also, besides the family shows, there was lots of family shows in the eighties, different strokes. What else? Why is different strokes the only one I can think of? Family ties. Um, oh, family ties yeah <laughs> uh and then ones that looked a lot like family ties because <laughs> brady, brady bunch was the 70s right that, that was the 80s. 70s yeah yeah the brady bunch i yeah. never watched the cosby show and i don't want to talk about bill cosby but i yeah. never watched it but that was a family show uh, yeah that's another one i watched a different world a lot i watched mm -hmm. a little bit of the cosby show but give me some lisa bonet and i'll follow her to the ends of the earth mm -hmm. so i was very it was the spinoff that was yeah she leaves for college i think she left uh, the show because bill cosby but um <laughs> now we know <laughs> yeah. yeah uh but she um she goes to college she goes to uh spellman which is a historically black black college in atlanta right mm -hmm. um next to morehouse i think anyway uh and I watched that because I was like, oh, college, you know, this is what these people are living in a dorm together and they're going to school and they're friends. Marissa Tomei was in it in the beginning. Oh, you wow. ever watch that? And then Dwayne Wayne was this guy, this nerdy guy who had a crush on her. And Whitley was like the uptight. There was I one of the things that television did for me is besides showing me like nice family life was also and this sounds so trite, but just it showed diversity too. And I know that it's not the best diversity. I know that it's not real diversity because again, it was all perfectly packaged, but watching a different world, for example, where you see a historically black college, um, you see these different people who are black, who are, you know, who aren't one generalized stereotype, right? Like Whitley was, was some like something I didn't know at all is that there's this, kind of debutante high class 
Black society throughout the South, and she was representative of that. And I had no idea that that existed, right? Um, or the the Dwayne Wayne, the kind of nerdy black dude with the the remember he had the glasses, and mm -hmm. then they like flipped down to the sunglasses. And so I know that that's not real representation mm -hmm. because again, it's all perfectly packaged. But it was a way of like a view into a world where I was like, wait people like this exist. You know, I had no idea. I, I grew up in not very diverse places and uh, have a pretty racist family. So being able to see representatives of different cultures and that it wasn't threatening and that it wasn't, you know, the, the representation that I was getting at home. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, that was, that was another great thing. Yeah. I used to watch, this is a 70s show. So this, I'm talking like five six seven years old and then through repeats what's happening and i, I really like the representation on that show because um one the mother of the household was a big woman she was very large and she was overweight and it reminded me of my mother and i remember like growing up with a mom who was you know larger that was like a thing you know like you think about that and how other people perceive you and then or perceive her and then perceive you because people are cruel but it was nice to see that representation because I sort of felt like this is someone who looks like somebody in the real world and uh, even though that show had a lot of jokes about weight as it relates to like rerun who wasn't like the large high school dude and it many times was the clown of the group i like the fact that there were people on that show who i could relate to in my family and uh roger who was like the smart one is so funny he wanted to be a journalist he wanted to be a writer like in high school right and he got made fun of or you know like this and and then you know he he finally like sold a script to a tv show and it turns out they used it but didn't credit him and you know he felt like he was stolen from him and you know he's like the editor of a student paper and just it was really cool and and you know in some ways like that was like a role model for me like oh you can you can actually like to be a doctor or something was like are you kidding me? That's years of school. That's so expensive. Like, that's hard. Like, that's science. That's like, how am I ever going to like get there? Like, that's so much money. Like, but when you're a writer, like, you can write in your closet. You can write anywhere. You can, like, I have not had paper and written in my head, you know, and like, I can't wait yeah. to get this down. And so, to me that was inspirational was like here's this guy and they're growing up in LA and um they're you know it's not a wealthy family but he could do anything in the world through writing and I thought that was inspirational and it was just funny like all these shows like they're just funny like Seinfeld is funny what's happening hilarious writing yeah. like get the little sister with her jokes and the insults and you know, obviously today you could never insult somebody like that because it's but it's all done in the context of a family and love. And we know in the real world, people, siblings joke with each other, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you had any, well, I think you've seen that show. Yeah. What's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. What's happening. Um, I watched when I was little and again, it showed me into, you know, 
glimpse into a world that uh, I didn't have a lot of representation of around me um, and like a like a household where people came and hung out and came in and out and they wanted to be there and they wanted to be around each other. Mm-hmm. Like all of that was very alien to me. Um, having people like just come over and, and hang out and stuff like that into yeah, Jenna Jackson was a uh, penny on good times. And that was like this whole great storyline where she was abused by her mother. Right. Exactly. And so they, and then they address that, right. They address this, that that kind of abuse happens and that um, this mother was mentally ill. Right. She was, um, she, she was, was burning her with the iron. Yeah. Right? And and this sounds so horrible. Okay. So I'll just say it, but like, I know to many people that sounds like the worst. Oh, I can't like, that is not. <laughs> okay. It happens. Yeah. It happens. And burning, burning children happens. Yeah. And it happens to people you may know and interact with every day who don't talk about it. I mean, it's not right. like this weird thing for television, you know, but yeah, she burned her. And then uh, the neighbor saw the burn marks and that right. was just a great series of episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and dealt with this thing that is because we don't talk about um, that sort of, you know, we don't talk about like you just said even talking about burning kids i know that the way that i said that some people will be like <gasps> right but um but because we don't talk about it the shame goes on the victim the shame whenever you don't talk about something that's that's you know highly traumatic uh pedophilia um physical abuse uh it doesn't do anything to protect the person who's a victim of that it just puts the shame on them and we need to take the shame and put it back on where it belongs, right? The the actual, um, uh, what's it called? Not proprietor. <laughs> the uh, the predator. <laughs> proprietor. Some proprietors. The proprietor <laughs> of pedophilia. No, the predator. Um, so yeah. So when when you have that kind of very special episode once again, where you talk about these things that we're real to a lot of people that were kind of commonplace for a lot of us. Um, it gives us a, a way to, to see that like, Oh, maybe this horribly shameful thing that I've internalized as, as this deep, dark secret is something that other people have in their life as well. Maybe it's actually kind of common and um, maybe I'm not alone. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, I remember the Janet Jackson episodes of Good Times. Good Times was in New York, right? They were in Chicago. Oh, Chicago. Yeah. It all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> in my defense, I haven't watched these shows since like 1984, but uh but in my in my defense, I've watched them somewhat regularly. <laughs> um, now still. <laughs> yeah. Um well, Good Times like I had bought the DVD before streaming was big, you know, just like, oh, I want to watch these episodes and I don't know if you can stream it, but it is on um, one of the cable stations, um, you know, on weekends kind of thing or not weekends, like evenings or something. Um, But yeah, they lived in Chicago and uh, they um, were a strong family, um, strong until the writers killed off John Amos because he wanted more money, I think was the reason. And they thought that JJ was the star and they didn't need the dad figure. So they killed him in a car accident and the show was never 
the same and then and then the mom wanted more money and she got they kill her they written her wrote her off the show you know florida right florida yeah 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 and then somehow like the kids just took care of themselves as like young adults (laughs) and then they brought her back later but um and, and in that show michael is like the young um the young smart like radical like uh anti-government sort of person who's like just really pushing envelopes and many times they're trying to get him to conform like like michael you have to play the game and play the rules if you want to be successful if you if you're not you know you're not you're going to make it harder for yourself so that like his character was really cool I was I've been watching the Brady Bunch a few episodes over the summer, and when you know when you talk about the mom who's like perfect and the dad mm-hmm. who's perfect, and they have a problem, you know, like remember the one where Cindy, like, or is it Cindy or somebody breaks the vase, and like they're all it's the like, youngest one, right? It's Marsha, Marsha, Jan, and Cindy. Jan and Cindy, yeah. yeah. And so, like, they're all worried that mom's going to freak out. And so they try to glue it together. And then, like, the glue starts coming out in the water of the table. And it's like, well, let's talk about what happened here, you know. And it's like the lie is worse than the actual act, you know. And it's just like, wow, this is, like, civil discussion, you know. Right. That show had a lot of civil discussion. It had a lot of issues. And then they would talk about it. And I remember this one episode where one of them, one of the older kids, either Marsha or was the old Greg, um, become kind of like a hippie. It's the seventies, right? They become sort of a hippie and they're talking about like how times are changing. And, and Mrs. Brady says something like, oh, honey, times don't change. People do. And I remember even whenever I saw that the first time thinking like, that seems kind of like they're 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 somehow opposing a popular cultural message they're trying to like recreate a cultural message which is you know bob dylan would sing about the times are changing and people would talk about times are changing and there's this backlash of like no 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 everything's still going to be the same it's just some bad people so that show while it did a whole lot of a lot of like happy family we have a little problem we're going to fix it all it um, also was conforming to an idea of what a correct family was or the way that you were supposed to act as a family. And so while while we're talking about how great these shows were because they showed us, you know, what a family could be like or what like a nice, safe ha- home life could be like, um, they also were presenting an image of conformity, right? They were presenting an image of like, if your family isn't like this, then there's clearly something wrong with you. And there there was definitely something wrong with my family, right? But there's lots of families that there's nothing wrong with that don't conform to that either. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of successful same-sex uh, couples. There's lots of successful single parents. There's lots of, you know, different ways of of creating a household that didn't necessarily conform to that. So, so yeah, I think it's good to recognize that while those shows created an idealized image they were also creating a very like small box for what what was supposed to be acceptable i think you know how you were talking about um characters asking for more money and kind of getting killed off or sent off i think that was kind of common that happened with 
Three's Company. Hmm. And by the way, I was definitely not allowed to watch Three's Company. So I watched every single episode. But um, <laughs> uh, the, that they talked about gay people in that, even though Jack wasn't seriously gay, he was, if the premise was, it's the 1970s in, in LA and he needs a place to live. And Mr. Roper's like, no, you can't have single women and a single man living together. So he's like, no, I'm gay. And like his whole thing was pretend to pretend to be gay, which is, <laughs> which is a ridiculous premise to begin with because most people were pretending not to be gay if they were, you know, they were in the closet, not fakely out of the closet or whatever. Um, but just and and he wasn't really gay and this this isn't a show about gay people at all that's not what i'm saying but just mentioning that some like gayness exists right that homosexuality yeah. existed was ta not just taboo but actually you weren't allowed to for like 30 years in television and movies you weren't actually allowed to have homosexual characters or trans characters um and uh once they started at least allowing trans people to come into movies and shows, they were always the villain. You know, they were always this very neck. They were always, uh, and I can't think of any gay characters in the beginning. I can think of like a bunch of trans characters who were like, um, what's that movie? Um, with, oh, the crying game. If you remember yeah. the crying game, Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, here's this, this introduction into like, oh, look, a trans person, but it was this very negative, you know, this person is, you know, it was a very, it was, it was not good representation. <clears throat> so. I remember uh, at first he was like violent, but. Right. But they, then, they, I don't remember the ending. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, spoiler, but um, <laughs> it's like 40 years old, uh, but yeah. We're not that, I'm not that old. It's not 40. It's like 30. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, the, the, I can't remember the names of the characters, but, um, but yeah, the whole thing is like, there's these two people dating this woman and this man, and then the man finds out this is a trans woman and it's this like violent reaction and this like throwing up reaction that happens a lot in early representations of trans people on, in movies, people would throw up, whether it was the mask where it was like jokingly throw up or, crying game where it was like oh my goodness I've been deceived you know like this this idea that this woman was was basically an agent of deception and uh instead of you know just a, a woman who wanted to date somebody mm -hmm. so um that kind of that was the representation we had of trans people and I can't really think of a lot of representation of gay people before Jack on Three's company. And again, that's not a representation of gay person. He wasn't actually gay, but just the discussion, the ability to say like, oh, gay people exist. That was something that was revolutionary. And that's why I wasn't allowed to watch it. <laughs> Definitely not allowed to watch it. But, um, but Chrissy, so Chrissy, Suzanne Summers, yeah. it's thrown off that show because she asked for Oh. the same pay as Alan Alda. Alan Alda was on oh. MASH at the time. MASH is one of my favorite all-time television shows ever. Mm -hmm. I'll talk about MASH in just a just a minute, but uh but she asked to be paid as much as him because they were on this hit show and they were like and just kicked her off and brought in her cousin. <laughs> <laughs> and they would do that a lot where they would somebody would say like, "Hey, pay me more." And they'd be like, "Nope, we can replace you. You're replaceable." But they weren't replaceable, you know, like they 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 changed the show. It changed the 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 whatever. Anyway. Was so. it Cindy? 
Was that the cousin's name? Cindy was the cousin. Yeah. Another, they basically just found another blonde actress. They're like, you're blonde. <laughs> you're her cousin. <laughs> and it wasn't the same, you know? And then the Ropers left. Oh, Mrs. Roper was the best with mm-hmm. her freaking captains constantly hitting on everybody you know (laughs) she was like the og pansexual just like into actual into like absolutely everybody um i loved her yeah i was like that's that's where i want to be when i'm 60 or so (laughs) running an apartment building just like hitting on everybody who comes by just just leaving your finger on their shoulder just a little bit longer (laughs) than you should yeah um well, it's funny though, because Mr. Roper was never like the whole joke of that show was he wasn't attracted to her, or he was, but he he was he never wanted to have sex. She would always joke with that, and to me that was so interesting because it's usually like the other way around. Like the idea, right. the stereotype is the man will have sex at any time with anyone. It's usually that the woman is the one who says no or has to have boundaries, like the stereotype. And right. that show was just fascinating because Roper was like, you know, he flagrantly acted like he was unattracted to her. And right. so therefore mm-hmm. she had to like seek it everywhere else, you know? Well, And then he was super homophobic too, right? Yeah. Like Jack being gay was something where he would always make fun of it. And like, um, so, you know, maybe a kind of subtext to that overt text was he was in the closet himself. Like mm-hmm. he was married to this woman that he wasn't into. He was, he was so bothered by having a gay man in the building that maybe it was just a little too close to something he'd been pushing down his entire life Mm -hmm. um uh that switching of like the the female male role the woman being the the one who is going after sex also happened in married with children Mm. remember that show with uh yeah al bundy al bundy and peg um so Al Bundy, who then later was on Modern Family, right? Like he has more recent fame being the the grandpa. That's Ed O'Neill. And then uh, Katie, um, uh, what's her last name? Katie. Uh, Seagal. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh, I loved her. I still love her. Uh, yeah, I was just I thinking watched... like, I don't understand why he was not attracted to her. I know. She was. <laughs> She was amazing. Like she was so gorgeous and funny, but that, that show kind of switched that, that conversation as well. Whereas he never wanted to have sex with Peg. She always wanted to have sex. She like, he'd go home and just be, Oh God. Right. Um, And she was this like overtly sexually active wanted. So for me, again, like these characters, I was very drawn to them for several different reasons. One, Katie Seagal's freaking amazing, gorgeous, hilarious. And just the idea that like, oh, here's a woman who's assertive and wants to be a sexual person is like openly sexual. And uh, she doesn't, there's not like a fiery pit of hell that opens and swallows her, which is one of the many messages I received when I was (laughs) growing up that like, this is the most shameful thing that you could be. So, um, so yeah, so shows playing around with that like turning women into the sexual aggressor and the husbands into these kind of like mm-hmm. no peg you know <laughs> i would say with three's company i don't know how you feel but i did like mr furley don Knotts. i thought oh, he sure. was he was great in his own way different than the ropers but 
he Very was funny. yeah kind of clueless and yeah <laughs> and again homophobic too well, right. like, that know. was the thing is you had to be homophobic i mean i think that, that was i don't think that's something that's been around forever i'm reading a book right now called uh gay new york it's the history of gay men in new york from 1890 to 1940 and so that that like idea that masculinity is defined as not feminine and not homosexual like defining yourself as masculine as being like as far away from femininity and and thus i'm not saying that homosexuality is the same as femininity but but people came to like to blend those two um i think that like that was a way of asserting how masculine you were that you had to hate on and be like anti-gay to show that you weren't gay right and i don't think that's been around forever i think that's like a cold war thing i think that happened kind of after world war ii um but uh but yeah so he was definitely mr furley and mr roper were both showing how not gay they were by making fun of it and putting it down and you still see people who do that today who are like oh i'm so not you know michael scott says that in the office is like like when he outs oscar you know, and he's like, uh, well, you know, it's just that I'm so not gay that, you know, you have to <laughs> define your masculinity by showing how not gay you are. Um, yeah. Anyway, so uh, another big awakening for me was the show Glow, you know, Saturday what? morning, wrestling. glorious ladies of wrestling. Yeah, uh -huh. I used to watch that at my friend Yvonne's house. Mm -hmm. uh, she was she introduced me to it. Thank you so much for introducing me to that show, because that I've, oh my god, i just i i don't know why i love that show so much so it's wrestling and wrestling is campy it's like a it's like a soap opera right it's like a uh you have the the heel and you have the the hero right are those the terms you know wrestling it's the heel <laughs> and the baby face yes the bad oh. guy and the good good guy or good girl yeah yeah well so I, i'm a he heel by the way in case <laughs> I like that role. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, so watching this wrestling, I, I never watched any other wrestling show, but watching Glow, I was, I think that for one, it brought out like my early, like uh, queer identity. I saw these women and I was like fascinated by them and attracted to them. And I wasn't exactly sure why, but in the last couple of years, I've, tried to figure out like why were you so into this show low it can't just be because you know you had like baby queer feelings <laughs> it had to be um something else and I think it's because it showed these women in these positions of power like it showed them in these positions of of asserting themselves of creating these characters for themselves and then and uh and yeah so I I loved that show I was I still love that show. Like I still get nostalgic when I see anything that, that refers to glow. And then later Xena, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I used to watch glow too, just because I love professional wrestling. And when you love pro wrestling, you watch all of it. And even though glow was like, if people think wrestling is um, campy and just over the top glow was like, you know, 10 deviations more than that. But yeah, you did see like these strong female characters and they weren't, I mean, some of them, yes, were 
wearing tights and thin and trying to look a very visual way but like one of their main characters was you know a larger character i think she was hawaiian or samoan and like she was an yeah. islander personality and 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 she was a strong female character and and that is what you know is appealing to so many people they all do, do not need to look like chrissy snow you know like that's not realistic and that doesn't even appeal to to everybody you know so um so yeah that's true i want to ask you about mash though because i have a weird thing with mash like i don't know why but i can remember being a little boy in bed and hearing the tv playing and that song theme that, song yeah that theme song just being so suicide is painless that's sad. It's being so depressing, and me just it, the name never... of the song is "Suicide Is Painless." It is supposed to be a depressing <laughs> song, <laughs> and I just thought I never want to watch that show because, <laughs> like, it just seems so sad. So, what is your experience with Mash? I know Mash is regarded as like the one of, if not the best show of all time on television, but yeah, and it's one of my favorite favorite shows of all time. One is that that's one of the only shows I was allowed to watch. So my my mom watched that show. She liked that show. Uh so I was allowed to watch it with her. And so one is that I I actually got to watch it I think and I didn't get to spend a lot of time with my mom doing things like watching television or something calm. Uh so I think I also have, you know, personal warm feelings around something that I got to like do with my mom huh. but uh, but I loved Matt I mean besides that I loved MASH because first talking about that that humor that I saw in Seinfeld and was really like enamored with in Seinfeld that existed in MASH too it had a very dry humor it had a very um it was dealing with this horribly serious subject so it's set in the Korean War but it's really the Viet the war in Vietnam uh, they just, because they started making it in the early 70s, like maybe some, 1973, they couldn't set it in Vietnam. It was too politically explosive. So they made it the Korean War. But then again, like the characters in Seinfeld weren't allowed to be Jewish, but then they just wrote them Jewish. It's like, uh, okay, it's in the Korean War. But uh, they basically wrote the politics of the Vietnam War, war in Vietnam. So it was dealing with a very serious subject. But it dealt with it with this dry humor. And that's that's me. I mean, from a very young age, dealing with uh, like, you know, a horribly just terrible home life. And then now teaching subjects that that are a lot of the time very difficult for people to hear about things like young, you know, child marriage, female genital mutilation, um, child soldiers. I talk about all that stuff in my class, some of my classes. And uh, in order to introduce them, I've, I've like harked back to harked. I don't know if that's the right word. I've gone back to math. Went back to, to mash and to how they would deal with this subject with this dry humor because what it does is it disarms you when people are disarmed when they're laughing they're able to kind of bring this this terrible subject matter in and really see it for itself rather than just like terrible it's terrible you should feel terrible all the time you should feel terrible and it's really really bad and people are like yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh mash did this like dry 
humor and had Alan Alda as the main character and then all these other great actors who dealt with this very serious subject in this way where they could like sneak in this information about the war and about what was happening and this this imperialist occupation and you know the politics of the cold war and stuff like that among these jokes where they'd be wearing gorilla suits or you know uh hawkeye the that's alan aldo was flagrantly defying the idea of being in the military he was drafted and he wouldn't salute anybody that was a big thing there's only like three times in the entire series that he salutes people and it's like Henry Blake when he's going home, Radar, you know, all these like really, really fundamental characters. <clears throat> but he like walks around in his Hawaiian shirts or his uh, red um, bathrobe as a way of saying like, yeah, I'm here and I'm going to do my job really well. But I don't agree with this. This is all a bunch of BS, this whole like getting in line and being super into the military. So I loved Alan Alda. And then I love... Um, Margaret Houlihan and I think that's why my mother liked to watch that show too I think she imagined that she could be like Margaret Houlihan in a different life Margaret Houlihan was the head nurse and she was like wow. she was like gorgeous and 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 super into the military like she <laughs> took it very very seriously but then she was so in charge she's just so like you know knew what she was doing was straight to business she was just this she was what a nurse is supposed to be a head nurse in a mobile medical unit in the middle of Vietnam, uh-huh. Korea, uh, was supposed to be. So again, and it's funny because later watching Mad Men, which is a much later show, uh-huh. uh, Joan and Don Draper. So Joan Harris Holloway, who's uh, Christina Hendricks. And then Don Draper, both of those people, I'm like, oh, if only I could be like an amalgamation of two of them, you know, same thing with, with Alan Alda and, and, or Hawkeye Pierce and Margaret Houlihan. It's like, if only I could grow up and somehow like embody both these characters, mm-hmm. something that's always good for me. Yeah. That's always funny. I've looked into the Seinfeld stuff about how some of it was New York and some of them was a set to look like New York and some of it was LA and just, you know, not really knowing it when you're watching, but learning how they put all of that together. We have about 10 more minutes or so. And so I wanted to just like real quickly, like, I don't know if you watch the Jeffersons, love the Jeffersons, (laughs) such like just good comedy and um, and, Louise and, and, you know, just, the, the interracial couple and the kid it was just great but what do you say oh and this like um you know rags to riches kind of family i mean they weren't rags but they were they moved up right that was the whole theme song but yeah. i was gonna say theme songs while you know theme songs took up a lot of time in the beginning of shows we don't have them anymore and yeah. they were they were that 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 has to be the greatest theme song of all time the greatest opening song is the one to the jeffersons moving yeah. on up Mm-hmm. When I moved into my, um, when I was finally given a permanent office at City College and I like moved in, I played that song. <laughs> <laughs> nice. As I was, well, as, as, I an, was <laughs> as an abused adjunct who can relate to your <laughs> years of abuse as an adjunct, you definitely deserve that song <laughs> as you're putting your books in your shelf. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that 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 theme song, the Good Times theme song, incredible oh, yeah. too. Um, and the art in that show 
at the end um a lot of those shows with the ending credits would come and they would have the 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 song again like come back or like a different version of it but 227 um with florence marla gibbs she was the lead on the on the um on the stoop i love to show those women sitting on the stoop just like talking we're not allowed to say the s word talking uh trash neighborhood gossip yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah oh well and 227 is kind of in line with we can't have this podcast and not mention the freaking golden girls oh yeah you know Uh like they're kind they're they're sort of in the same vein of these older women um who have this close friendship who just are like they've gone they've gone far enough in life now where they're just like we don't we're just gonna let it all hang out right Mm -hmm. so the golden girls that's one of my all-time favorite shows all-time favorite shows i literally have in my garden a, uh, I have a bust of the Buddha because I'm pretentious like that. And <laughs> I have, <laughs> but next to it, I have a bust of Sophia. I have mm. Sophia's head in my garden. So, um, yeah. Sophia Petrillo, yes. Yeah, the mom, the the mom with her little purse mm-hmm. and her like wisecrack, constant wisecracks. <laughs> yeah, that show. Well, you talk about the Golden Girls because I've been talking a lot. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love the Golden Girls probably my second third favorite show and you know it's it's stupid to pick like favorites because they're all my favorites just depending on how i feel in that moment you know it just it mm. changes but this will tell you a lot about me jordy okay and i don't want you to analyze it here because we don't have enough time but for most of my life i wanted to marry dorothy like dorothy is like the perfect woman for me and it pisses me off how she was the butt of jokes of like not being tr- attractive but she I mean, like, feel. yes, but I loved her. She's so smart and, and, and funny. And she's she a teacher. Dry humor. <laughs> yes. That's yeah, hard. She, they're not making fun of, I mean, they make fun of everybody, but they weren't making fun of her. She was, she, like, no more than they made fun of anybody else. She was the dry, like the, you know, the, yeah, she, she's the, the straight man, straight person, but mm-hmm. also had so many just like digs and yeah she's one of my favorites all time but yes i love the show and i love the characters like blanche is the sexual mrs roper not yeah mrs um forget her first name um but yeah she's like the overly sexualized stereotype woman but and- unlike mrs roper blanche was out there her husband george i think had died one of them, one of them had a husband named George, um, had died. And so she was out there just like every night, a new person. Yeah. I remember they were were sex in the city before there was a sex in the city. You know, people talk about sex in the city as being so revolutionary where these four women had sex, talked about sex, dated, and it didn't have to be like marriage, but they were doing that. These, and they were so fantastic too, because they were older. So like they broke all these stereotypes, the stereotypes of being like women who were interested in sex, um, who were interested in each other, who were not adversaries of each other, but were supportive of each other. But then also they're older and they're still sexually active. They're still there. And what happens to us, to women, as we, you know, we're put on these pedestals when we're, when we're young, we're told that we're this like amazing, fantastic prize. And then we find out that like, oh no, nobody actually 
uh, treats adult women like that, actually, they're, well, I could get into a whole stuff of the illusion of how we're told that we're supposed to be this prize, but actually we're, you know, um, not that valued by society. And then we eventually get to an age where we're just invisible, where we just disappear. And so these women who have been through life, who've been through the ups and downs of, of like the reality of what life is like marriage and children and all that stuff. And then they refuse to be invisible. They're, they're, they're like, no, we're still here. We're still going to date. We still work. We still do things that, um, like you said, Dorothy was a teacher. She was very into being, she was a substitute teacher, but she was very into being a substitute teacher. Um, Betty White was uh, Rose and she was very into, she worked in like a healthcare center and um, Blanche did like art music, something. It was like an art museum yeah. gallery director or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then Sophia's just there making fun of all of them. <laughs> that's, that's true. It was great too, because it introduced again, gay characters mm -hmm. like um, Blanche's brother was gay. Uh the, I love that episode. Yeah. And then she yeah. had to struggle with that. And then she finally forgave him at the end. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, no, you're my brother. And and then, and then he brings his, his partner like to some event later. And, you know, so not only did they have this gay character, which again was taboo, but then he, he has a partner and that partner is brought into the show. And then you get to see this person who's in this committed relationship when for a long time, uh, gay men especially had been portrayed as these sexual deviants as these people who yeah so it, it was and the the pilot episode had like they I don't know why they got rid of this but but they had like a um like a I think they referred to him as a houseboy <laughs> <laughs> but he was like so overtly gay and like it wasn't it wasn't hidden like he wasn't supposed to to be a Jack Roper, no, not Jack Roper, Tripper. Jack Roper. Um, and this was a person who was openly gay, who was like, like worked in their house. I don't know why they got rid of him. That's so sad, but, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so that, that show was just fantastic. Like showing women, showing women who were sexual, who weren't, who refused to be invisible, introducing gay characters, single mothers, Blanche's daughter had a, you know, decided she wanted to be a mother and she wasn't going to wait around to get married or whatever. So she has a baby on her own and like they're yeah. Sorry. Yeah, the whole the whole episode of like she's how she's going to get artificially inseminated and Blanche is just so against it, but she goes along and well, no no Devro's ever had to pay for it, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> so funny. But last last thing on Golden Girls, um you know, Blanche was overly sexualized, and so she she went and she did work out, and like this is the year of like jazzercise and all that in yeah. the '80s and stuff. And so she meets, she falls in love with her jazzercise instructor, and so she's back on the couch. She she thinks he's in love with her too, you know. And so they're on the couch, and he she's talking to Dorothy, and she's like explaining the challenges of this relationship, and she doesn't know if she wants to pursue it, and she's like, you know, and and Dorothy. I mean, he's nearly five years younger than me, right? And the dude's like 30, right? And, you know, Blanche is in her 50s or whatever. And Dorothy responds, in what, Blanche? Dog years? And it's so funny, you know? But, um, yeah, I, I love that show. I've seen every episode multiple times. And uh, 
after this, I'm gonna go watch some more. No, um, but so many, so many good shows. And anything before we wrap up, you want to hit hit up? Hit well, up? I just I have to mention uh, Judith Light from uh, Who's the Boss. Who's the boss? And then she's in a lot of stuff now too. She's the mom in Transparent. She's in Edition. Oh, yeah. She's uh, she was just in this. Shoot, I saw her in something else. But anyway, when I was little, I was like, oh, that's who I want to be my mom. Mm-hmm. Judith Light. And LeVar Burton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so, all right. We'll see you later. Thank you. All right.